Is this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Hey everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. My name is Bryn Griffiths, he is Robin Brownlee. Okay, last week we had Craig McTavish on, so in fairness, we need to get somebody from the Calgary Flames on to talk a little Battle of Alberta. First guy we thought of, Tim Hunter, we said, are we even going to be able to get a hold of him? Then we noticed he's everywhere talking about this series, and he joins us on The Outsiders today. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Fine, thank you. You have been everywhere. Like, are you surprised your phone has been ringing as much as it has? Well, you know, it's interesting, and it's a big deal in Alberta, and it's a big deal in Canada. You know, this battle hasn't taken place in a long time, and uh, being the only two Canadian teams in hockey being so uh, big in Canada. So it's it's fun. It's great for the game. It's great for Alberta. It's great for Edmonton and Calgary because a uh, long time coming, and all the things we've gone through in the past uh, couple of years and, and even the economy in Alberta the last four or five years hasn't been great. So uh, things are on the upswing and it's excited to be part of it. Uh, being a Flames alumni, we're very active here in Calgary and uh, the team supports us and we support the team. It's, it's a little bit remarkable to me, Tim, that it's been so long since these teams met in the playoffs. I mean, there's been years where neither one of them's been very good, and there's other years where one is good and one is not, and then you've got to have the you know, correct alignment to meet in the playoffs. 31 years seems to go by in the blink of an eye for me. It doesn't seem that long ago. How about you? You were in the middle of it. Yeah, no, no question. It just seems like yesterday, and, and I just actually moved back to Calgary. I hadn't lived here in 30 years. You know, I left in 91 to an expansion draft to Tampa, went to Quebec, Vancouver, and then on to coaching. And then I just retired two years ago uh, during the pandemic and, and you know, active in the community and, and just hoping the Flames could get something going to be able to watch some games, some fun hockey this time of year. So it's all happened, but uh, uh, I, I think uh, you're, you're right. You know, it just seems like yesterday, that 91 series and, you know, it, it turned out always the wrong way. We only were able to really beat Edmonton uh, at one time in 86 when we played. So uh, yeah. um, it always seemed to be on the receiving end of things. When we talked to Craig McTavish last week, he talked about the fact that the series obviously now would be much different than it was way back in the day. You went through five of them. Were they all the same? Were they all basically... You know, you knew exactly what to expect from this guy and from that guy. How do you view those five that you went through? Well, the the, the previous, the ones in the 80s were very similar. There it was, you know, the game with one referee was, there was more violence. You got away with a lot. The rules were so different. There was so much hate. There's not as much hate nowadays. And then 91 was very tame, couple fights. I know the big fight with, Dave Brown and Jim Kite, 
um, but not the violence, not the physicality. If you look at the score sheets, you know, it was, you know, 40 minutes total in a game, probably a high. Yeah. You look at that 86 series. There was one game, there was 200 minutes between two teams in a game penalty minutes. That's, you know, all those, those line scrums and 10 minute misconducts. They started handing those out when, when you didn't listen. And uh, so it racked up, but there was more violence and, and the game is so much better. Now the game's a track beat. There's four great lines out there, uh, 12 forwards that can score a couple defensemen that you have to watch. You have to watch. So the game's fun to watch. It's a track meet. And it, uh, it's a little bit like the offense in the eighties because it was, it's high scoring and it's, it's fun to watch, uh, but it's coming from everywhere. It's such a different game. Like you say, Tim, I mean, Mac T would laugh. I mean, the stuff that happened shift to shift back then would get you put in jail today. Um, you guys were one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, yet there was this team up Highway Two that had your number uh, most years. You might, you guys might have been the best team in hockey that didn't put together a string of Stanley Cups because the Oilers were 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 so good. That had to be frustrating on its own level, no? Well, yeah, the, we, you know, it's not unlike right now, Calgary having to contend with Connor McDavid. Uh, yeah. We had to contend with Wayne Gretzky and four or five others, which are, it was a bigger group. You know, there was seven Hall of Famers on that team. And at the time, uh, it was tough to handle Messi, Anderson, Gretzky, Curry. And these guys were coming at you in ways. And we did everything we could to try to beat Edmonton. It was all about beating Edmonton. We thought if we could beat Edmonton, we could beat anyone. We could get through to the finals. And 91 was that picture where we were so close that I think we could have won another Stanley Cup there if we got by Edmonton. But, uh, you know, uh, and had something else to say about that. And a great team without Wayne Gretzky and Coffey and McSorley. Um, but, you know, those days in the 80s, uh, Terry Crisp and Bob Johnson, you know, it was all about how we're going to beat Edmonton. How are we going to be able to beat Edmonton? That made us a better organization, right? From Cliff, all the acquisitions uh, to getting more scoring. You know, the Calgary team had six guys, that team that won the Stanley Cup in 89, that, that either scored 50 prior, during, or after in their careers, 50 goals. So that's, that's a lot of offense. And, uh, you know, that, but it was all about uh, being able to beat the Oilers because you've had, like I said, you know, Wayne, Mark, Glenn, uh, Diari, these guys could put the puck in the net. And, and, and even, you know, down the lineup, uh, McTavish uh, ticking in, Craig Simpson, uh, more guys that could put the puck in the net. So it was, it was uh, they were coming at you in ways, but it made us a better organization, made us a better team, made us all better players. And it was a lot of fun to play in. The crazy part was there was Edmonton, there was Calgary, there was Winnipeg. The Smythe division was just incredible. Dale Howard, Chuck being the leader of that team at that time. Those were all great matchups between all three teams, not just the two. Yeah, for sure. You know, Howard, Chuck in, in Winnipeg, great player in Carlisle. Lots of good players. And even Vancouver had their, uh, had their uh, lineup that could score. Uh, Lyndon Smeal. Uh, Gradine, these uh, Tony Tanti, and you know it was fun hockey, and uh, it was quite you know we 
89, uh, we had to get through uh, Vancouver in the first round. And I said this before the Flames uh, playoff round, you know, round one was, is going to be hard. Uh, it's, it's getting through that first round to get some confidence to move on. You know, Dallas was not an easy out with the goalie. And then same with us in beating Vancouver in 89, seven games, overtime, lots of scoring chances could have went either way. So, you know, there's a fine line between winning and losing. And uh, it's the team that finds that uh, edge is the one that's going to win. Tim, I've, I've got to ask you, uh, because the the chorus about Connor McDavid is growing, and it's not just talking about how he can take control of the game and the remarkable uh, way he played at the end of the L.A. series in the last two games or the other night against the Flames. There are people who've been around a long time saying, not about Stanley Cups or the team championships, but they're saying... This is the best player I've ever seen. That is an awful big compliment. You've seen the guys we know here with Gretzky and Messier and those guys. Where do you come down on Connor McDavid in terms of his on-ice ability? Well, no question. He's he's one of the top players of all time. He's heading, heading there. Um, you know, it's, it's about winning. It's about... Uh, uh, being a champion, that's what defines uh, good players from great players. And, uh, you know, time will tell. You know, he's uh, definitely cut above the rest as far as his acumen with the puck, his foot speed, his hand speed. He can move his feet as fast as he can move his hands, which is incredible. You know, there's spinoramas and everything. The last guy that was great at that was uh, uh, Dennis Savard in Chicago, the Savardian spinorama. And, yep. uh, you know, come at you, and then all of a sudden – He's turned and then he's going the other direction to your right or left. And it didn't matter which way he turned. He was good to the backhand and the forehand. forehand and Connor's the same. So, um, you know, it's for Calgary, it's a challenge. Um, it's a confidence builder for Edmonton because they know he's a difference maker. He can go over the boards. And if Calgary gives him enough opportunities, he's going to find a way to either put the puck in the net or find somebody that's open. And so that's a big challenge for Calgary. Hearing some of the comments from some of the Flames players after the game on Saturday night, I, I just for me, it was just a flashback to the other, the other battles of Alberta. And the, the question I wanted to ask is that if you're, if you're Kachuk or any of the other Flames players who actually mentioned that we got beat by one guy today, you, you had to have gone through that exact same thing with Wayne Gretzky. How do you neutralize that? How do you, how do you try to get that out of your head so you're not being beat by Wayne Gretzky or Connor McDavid, not just on the ice, but up here? Well, that's right. And, you know, the playoffs give you a chance to learn lessons. And you only get so many chances and you only get so many lessons. So uh, it's time to learn those lessons and move on to the, ne to the next thing. And that's how do you handle uh, the lessons you learn. So game one, um, Edmonton is never out of it. Make Edmonton defend um, because you're going to get chances, but, uh, game two discipline, um, you can't give them too many chances in the power play. It ruins momentum. It keeps your best players off the ice. We didn't see, uh, Boudreaux, Lindholm and Kachuk on the ice enough in game two and game three, too many rush chances, too much uh, easy time for, for, uh, Connor. Um, checking Connor McDavid is not a one-man job, and you don't hurry to do it. 
You have to remember that when you're a defenseman or a defender, he has to go through you to get to the net and just take uh, the Zadorov uh, check on McDavid that spins off and takes it to the net, a little give and go, and it's in the net. Um, if you're not in a big hurry, allow, keep him to the outside, check him by committee, hand him off, and stay inside compacted in that home plate. They have to get through you to get to the net. Um, by chasing him hard, you're a big defenseman that doesn't have the same foot speed he does. Um, it's a losing battle. So I'm sure, and I know the coaching staff in Calgary is very smart. They've coached and they've taught those lessons and Calgary's going to learn from it. So look to see them play a little differently against uh, Connor McDavid, less uh, rush chances, and less uh, being in a hurry to check Connor McDavid. But great players always seem to find a way um, either way. However, uh, you know, good players adapt and it's human nature. All, all hockey players are smart. They adapt. So hopefully Calgary's going to adapt to those lessons and we'll see what, what uh, Edmonton has to make their adjustments. It's all about adjustments and momentum. Edmonton definitely has the momentum. They've uh, had their foot on the gas um, and we'll see what Calgary's response is. I'm sure it's going to be a good one tonight. What about, and also getting the lead. You got to get the lead right now, especially this playoff year. It just seems like it's dominant. If you get the first goal, you're pretty much winning it. Same in this series. If, if you can play your style of game, you can uh, play a one, three, one, however you want to deal with it. But if you get, you got to get the lead and you got to find a way to shut the crowds down in the various arenas. Were you a little surprised by Daryl Sutter's comments? He, he felt that some of his younger players were a little intimidated by the crowd. And I was surprised he would say that, but because it will only feed the crowd here again for the next matchup. But, but Daryl's pretty blunt and pretty honest. I, so I guess in some ways I wasn't surprised he said it. Well, Daryl's uh, very smart and he knows how to deflect uh, situations to, uh, in another direction. And, and uh, sometimes that's a good thing. And uh, so, um, you know, it's a lesson for the Flames, the young players, the Majapani's, Dubay's, uh, Shillington, younger, early developing players that haven't been in the spotlight before, um, you know, but they're, they're also um, would like to see more from these players because you're not going to always have your best players score every night. So you can't count on your top line to carry every game in playoff series, not unlike the Dallas series for Calgary. Goudreau and, and Kachuk didn't score until late in the series. You know, Goudreau with the, play, with the penalty shot goal and then the overtime winner in game seven. So um, it's, it's committee. And that's, I think, Daryl's uh, uh, comments is, uh, you know, we need more from our young guys. Uh, and that's the excuse. Well, maybe it's the crowd using that. But uh, just digging in and competing hard. Um, you know, the, the crowds have been fantastic. I, I would love to have been in Edmonton uh, for one of these two games to see that. Um, I was in Calgary for game one and two, and I'll be there in game five. So the crowds are outstanding. It, it's when you're a player and you're in that environment, it is electrifying and gets the juices going for sure. How about the uh, back and forth on the ice? You know, we call it trash talk. You were always in the middle of that stuff. I mean, there's a very famous, famous clip with 
Dave Brown trying to give it to you on the bench about, you know, your gloves being cemented on. I look at the other day and there's Kachuk and I think he's a hell of a player. But saying to Evander Kane, you want some money? You want some money? That's a pretty good shot given the circumstances. We know what those are. Well, Kane comes back and scores three goals. So that bit, that bit of back and forth isn't finished, is it? No, and you always have that. And players are ruthless in a lot of ways. And, and you hope it stays down on the ice. But, you know, back in the day, yeah, that, that was a clip of Brownie and I and just happened to be between the benches because there was a camera there. And there wasn't, there wasn't many, as many cameras as there is now and cell phones, what have you. So you definitely have to be careful what you're saying, but uh, that's, you know, uh, chirps and trash talk. I, I, there's two different things. Trash talk is yeah, definitely what Kachuk said to Kane about you want some money. I, that's a little bit low, but uh, um, what do you do guys? Boys will be boys. Yeah. As long as it doesn't get, uh, doesn't cross the line. Um, and it's fun, um, for sure. Uh, I, I, I could go on and on about the stories of the trash talk. It's, it's, uh, you know, I used to skate by the oiler bench and they would be yelling and screaming at me, Hunter, we're going to kill you. And I just turn and laugh. I'd say, you know, you guys have been trying this for five or six years and you haven't killed me yet. So bring it on. <laughs> but, um, uh, it makes for the competitive stuff. The fans love it. And uh, just more for us to talk about, I guess. Before you jumped on with our Zoom chat today, Robin and I were talking, I worked for the organization for five years. So I had longtime PR director Bill Tewilly's office on one side of me. The other office, I had two people over my five years there. One guy was Dougie Risebro was in that office. And he always told a lot of great Battle of Alberta stories. And the other time it was Dave Semenko. And one of the things that, uh, you know, if I was having a quiet day or I needed a little pickup, I'd ask Sammy to tell me a story or two. Every time your name came up, and I think you've got to take this as a compliment, when we talk about the Battle of Alberta, Tim Hunter's name is, is always the prominent one that comes up, at least for me. But Dave always said, you're never going to find a guy who is more honest and a guy who works harder than, than, than Tim Hunter. And... Uh, so he, but he always had the big smile on his face when he said it. And uh, I, I don't think he can get a bigger compliment from a guy like Sammy to hear that kind of stuff about you. No, it was great. And uh, you know, we, after our careers, like during, you know, the hate uh, you talked, I talked earlier about the hate. You never talked to guys, you never socialized, you never, you know, it was trash talk and chirps. That was it. Um, and then later on, when Dave was out of the game and I was out of the game coaching, Dave's scouting. I'd see him at rinks and we'd have a few laughs and um, what have you. And then um, Jack Cookson, who owns the uh, rights to that photo of Sammy and I glaring at each other in the yeah. Battle of the Alberta photo. That's one of the best selling photos in Canada for years um, because it just epitomizes that battle. Just like, really? You know, you're tough. I'm tough, whatever. Um so we, we signed, we signed all those photos and Jack asked us to come up to, um, asked me to come up to Edmonton. He said, we're having a signing. We're having Dave up here and it'd be nice to have you two together and you guys can personalize the photos for people and what have you. So I go up and we're sitting in the room getting ready to do this. And I said to him, I said, Hey Dave, I said, 
who would ever thought you and I were going to be business partners, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And uh, he laughed. He says, Oh yeah. He says all in the fun. And uh, you know, it's a shame. uh, You know, he left this uh, earth uh, too early and it's uh, you know, cause one of the big characters and, and I went to the, the uh, 100th anniversary, the team of the century celebration, Edmonton, 84, 85 Oilers. And uh, Dave wasn't there, but talked to Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky about him and the love and the, the respect they had for that guy is incredible. Uh, funny guy. Um, but they just love Dave and I've had a chance to, build a bit of a relationship with his son, Jason, over the years here, um, go to different events and Jason shows up and photos and gets me to sign pictures and stuff. He's got friends that are looking for my signature on that picture with his dad and I. And, uh, so it's kind of cool, uh, that, uh, you know, we're still associated in some ways and, uh, yeah, his name is, uh, yeah. If my name's synonymous with Calgary in the battle of Alberta, his name is sure synonymous with the uh, Oilers in the Battle of Alberta. I have to ask you, Tim, because I've, I've got that photo hanging in my office downstairs. And Brent and I were talking. One thing I don't get, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just the camera angle. You look like you're four or five inches shorter than Sammy in that photo. And you're not. At most, he was an inch taller. What was the deal with the way you look so small in that? Oh, he's two inches taller than I. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah. He was. Okay. He, yeah, he, he was much taller than me. Um, not. Yeah, more than an inch for sure. And <laughs> so I had my hands full. You know, I was just a small guy, uh, sick, barely six two, one hundred ninety six pounds. You know, having to fight such a big guy like him. And Marty was bigger than me. Don Jackson. You know, I just I was just this underdog. You did okay. Yeah, I think you were fine. Hey, the, I, I saw you at the, there was a Toast of the Town event in Edmonton, and Kevin right. Lowe was being honored. And uh, the one thing that's become really noticeable to me is how much, and I don't know if it's the same in Calgary, you can tell me if it is or not, but you're speaking there with Euler alumni guys, and you're kind of out of your comfort zone because you're not in Calgary, you're in Edmonton. But the crowd just loved you. And uh, I think if there's one thing, and we talked about the the hate and all that kind of stuff through those those early battles of Alberta, but I think the fans just love seeing everybody together again, shooting the shit and having some fun. You were outstanding, but it just, it. Are you, do you find that the alumni are getting closer and closer as they get a little aging, a little older? Uh, it's just fun to watch everybody uh, tell stories. Well, it was funny, uh, you know, uh, we did this, we do that Battle of Alberta uh, golf classic in Red Deer. I mean, they have it every two years. It's for the Child Advocacy Center in Red Deer, you know, part of Sheldon Candy's um, efforts. And mm-hmm. um, so I'm there and with all the other guys, it's fun. And, you know, I played with Glenn Anderson in junior. He was in Seattle, came to Seattle after his year with the Canadian Olympic team. And so I know Glenn and being involved with other things and coaching, uh, Hockey Canada, Kevin Lowe was always, you know, had time and talking with Kevin. Uh, so built a relationship with him and, and Barry Stafford, you know, I've known him since I was a young guy you know, through him come from Banff and hockey schools and different things. And 
So Barry calls me and he, he knows I'm going to the, the Red Deer event. And he said, hey, Hunts, he said, we're having this, this cancer due in, in Edmonton. I know Barry had cancer and it's his, it was his endeavor. And, but we're honoring Kevin Lowe. You know, you and Kevin are, are pretty close and know each other. And he said, would you mind coming to Edmonton? I said, well, yeah. I said, it's, I just drive up there from Red Deer. It should be easy. He said, if you guys could take care of just getting me a hotel, I'd be happy to come. I said, who, who are the other flame guys coming? He said, uh, none. I said, come on. <laughs> I said, me and all those Euler guys. He goes, yeah. He says, Hans. He said, the people in Edmonton love you. He said, why do you think all those guys call you Timmy? They just have the most respect for you. And I was like, really? He says, no, Hans, you'll be a big hit. He said, the people... They like you because you're honest, hardworking guy, blue collar, you know, it's, you'll be a big hit. I'm like, okay. So yeah, yeah, there I'm at (laughs) 20, 21 Oilers, former Oilers and me, Brian Burke and Ron McLean. So we're, we're going to, you know, at the end, we did that big photo up on the stage. They had to drag you up there if I recall, because you didn't want to. No, no, no. Did you go up there? I kind of, you know, I was sitting with uh, Dave Hunter and, and Al Hamilton and uh, a couple other guys, Randy Gregg, and they go, Hunts, you come on up. I says, oh, okay. So I'm going up, and Berkey's sitting down at stage with Ron McLean, and Ron McLean goes up easy, and Berkey's like, you know, I'm not. I said, Berkey, I said, I'm up here. Ron's up here. Get your ass up here, because you belong up here with us. So, um, but it, it's, it's, it was, it is something. Um, but it goes to both the, the mutual respect. And even when Kevin Lowe called me to invite me to the, uh, the event in Edmonton for the, for the 85 or 84, 85 Oilers. Right. I was like, so who else is going from the flames? He goes, well, just you and Lanny and Mike Vernon. And I was like, just me. Lanny. And I'm like, wow. And he says, Hunts, the fans here love you. And I was like, really? So, and it was a fun event. It was a great event. We had fun, a few laughs. And it was great going in the dressing room, uh, that brand new oiler room. I kind of slink in trying to get by because they had the whole the team in the locker room doing their thing. And this gal's trying to guide me in. I want to get in the back. She says, oh, Brian Sutter's back there. And Mike Keenan having a few beers. I'm going, I just got to sneak by. And then Mark Messier sees me. Hunts, Hunts, get in here. And I'm like, oh, God. So he brings me in the room, grabs me by the arm, takes me all the way around the room, introduces me to every guy. I never, the only time I ever shook their hands is after the playoff loss or the one win we had. So right through the whole team. And then they were trying to make a decision. I can't remember what it was on blue jerseys or white jerseys or sport coats or something. He goes, okay. Hans, you're the final decision. Oh, Whatever great. you say goes. I'm like, oh boy. No he pressure. Goes, blue or white? And I'm going blue or something. Whatever. Yeah. I don't remember what. And he goes, okay, that's it. So he, so the gal takes me out. I was like, holy mackerel. And then afterwards, both Mark and Wayne Gretzky came over and were chatting with me about Moose Jaw and the World Junior and all this. And, you know, what gracious guys. I was, I couldn't believe it. So very classy. And, uh, I, I really, uh, enjoy my time coming to Edmonton. I'm coming to Edmonton, uh, in August for the, 
the uh, Glenn Anderson day of golf, uh, for cancer. And I'm looking forward to it because, uh, I know they have lots of fun, raise good money and they're good people. Now you wrapped up the sort of work part of, of hockey, uh, with that time you spent in the jaw and now you're, you're uh, back in the back on the bus, so to speak, uh, where it all starts for everybody. What are you going to do now, Tim? Do you go, I mean, you've got events every year. I'm sure you can go to, but there's a lot more days in the year than that. Is, is there another hockey job waiting for you down the line or what? Well, I've been asked that a lot, uh, Robin, and I would only work again in hockey as if it was in the NHL. And, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, I've had lots of offers to go to Europe, junior hockey, American league, but, uh, really like to go back to the NHL. Um, I watch a lot of games. I have a lot of new ideas. Uh, so I'm active, uh, paying attention. I loved going to the flame games and watching them develop. It's been fun to watch, uh, the Oilers, uh, Jay, I've followed him along. He followed me and San Jose as assistant coach, and he's grown up to be a good hockey guy. So it's interesting to see his, his uh, way of doing things. So it's, it's fun to watch and pay attention to. So uh, go to Arizona for the winter. Uh, the past two winters has been enjoyable to spend uh, four or five months down there and golf and relax. You know, I stopped playing and got right into coaching. And so I've been busy from my first uh, NHL game to uh, my last junior game coaching uh, 15 years in the NHL. And then, 16 years, uh, six years in Moose Jaw coaching. So didn't really have any time off. So it's nice. It was nice to have some time off, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. That is, uh, I've had a great career in the NHL. I'm one of those lucky guys that's never really had a real job. All I've done is play hockey and coach hockey. So that's the fun part of it. And, uh, but I, I'm always been a student of the game. I'm paying attention to see what's, uh, what's going on with the modern game, how the game is changing. You know, the game changes every three or four years, two to three years, depending. There's uh, so much more that the players can off offer and the coaches can offer. So it's, uh, it's fun to try to be a innovator and not a follower. And that's what I've always tried to be in hockey. Now you're of a vintage Tim that, People could call you old school because of age and the area you came up in, but you also coached up until a couple of years ago uh, in the in the Western Hockey League. And you mentioned Jay Woodcroft. Um, how much has coaching changed, or how much should it change between when you had coaches talking in your ear as a young player coming up to now when it seems that the communications more two-way and more important. What makes a guy like Jay Woodcroft and some of these younger guys successful now? What kind of coach is successful with today's kind of player? Well, the big thing is communication and, and, and also um, recognizing the changes in the game. And so if you, you take two guys, Daryl Sutter and Jay Woodcroft, Daryl Sutter is coached forever and he knows coaching. Yeah. And he knows change, which is, and he knows how important you have to change with the times. And that's his brilliance because, um, you know, he's gone through, a, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, 2000s, 10, 20, and on to 2022. So a lot of time, a lot of changes. And 
the game is the same. It's still hockey, but it's the people that have changed. And that's communication to be able to communicate with today's uh, uh, young people. And Jay's kind of gone through a little bit of the old school uh, coming from Detroit, San Jose, Edmonton, and then being in the minors. So I think he's more in tune with the young people and that makes, uh, gives him a, um, a learning curve that he's, he's been able to develop. Uh, but he knows the game very well. He started as a video coach right at the bottom, coaching hockey schools, him and his brother or brothers, I think. And so he's, 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 he's paid his dukes, you know, smart thing going down to, uh, uh, Bakersfield and learning the American league coaching all these young players that are now in Edmonton. Um, but the two things, um, uh, never change. That's communication and the game of hockey. And both guys have, have found a way to, to learn both and stay in tune with the modern ways. My first pro coach was John Brophy. Oh, wow. And John, John Brophy was a Neanderthal. He was a wonderful guy, but his methods were archaic. And I would call home and talk to my dad and say, you know, this and that. And, you know, one time I made a mistake and John Brophy comes down. And he's screaming and yelling at me. He's like, Hunter, you're no freaking Mona Lisa. And I'm like, so I ah. said to my I said to my defense partner, uh, Gord Wapple, I said, who's Mona Lisa? He goes, Hunts. It's a masterpiece, a piece of a piece of artwork. You just got to keep things simple and make the simple play. Don't turn chicken shit into chicken salad. Yeah. If it's chicken shit, keep it chicken shit. So um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, got it. You know, later on, I go and look and see what the Mona Lisa is. I'm going, oh, okay, I get it. That's the comparison. Um, some dumb 19 year old defenseman, you know, I'm like, so, but I tell my dad these things and my dad go, listen, he doesn't know any other way to motivate his, he's trying to motivate you and make you do the right things. And that's just his way. He's not going to coach you forever. So take the good, right? Yeah. There is some bad, take the good and use it to your advantage. And I did that. And John Brophy, you know, he said, our team folded and I went first overall in the minor league dispersal draft to Halifax, Montreal Canadiens farm team. John Brophy said four months ago, there wasn't a person in hockey would give you anything for Timmy Hunter through his own hard work, determination and toughness. He's the first guy picked by one of the best organizations in hockey because he put his time in, he listened, he worked hard and he did what was needed. So in the end, you know, I found a way to, to succeed through some archaic communication. Now, I spent five years in Moose Jaw when Theo was playing, playing with the Warriors and Kelly Bookberger and Mike Keane. There's a ton of guys that went through there. I learned a, a shitload in five years, and I really enjoyed it. But it really did develop my love for junior hockey. You had a chance to coach the national team. What was that like? Well, you know, three times, uh, you know, and it's a great – a great um, experience because the players, they're all number one picks and they're all high, high profile players. And I was just asked the other day to talk about the current uh, Canadian championship team at the uh, IIHF world championships. And I've coached seven of those players on that team from Shabbat 
Comtois, Dubois, Batherson, all these guys, and, you know, Matthew Barzell. All these guys you coach, and it, it's such a it's it's to have them for you know you have them for a month, then you have them for another month because you're you're training camp in the summer and a bunch of different things you do, and then you have at the term. It's not quite a month; it's about three weeks at Christmas. And to be around all those great players is really a really th- real real thrill. And the, the the number one thing for coaches is dealing with your top players because they all have egos and they all have wants and needs and what, what um, makes them tick and what motivates them. They're all different regardless. Not all top player players are the same. You think they would be because they're top players, but they're all different. So to have 20 of them and then have to get them all to fit into um, a role and fill a role and play a role. And everyone wants to be on the first power play and everyone wants to be on the top line. You know, it's really interesting. And when you're with Hockey Canada, that's your number one job is to get everyone to buy in. Yeah. And uh, that's the magic of that job. Hmm. Plus you're with guys during the holiday. Now, how many, how many of these I've been to five, I've only been to one out of the country and that was in the Czech Republic a couple of years ago. So to watch Canada playing for Canada away from Canada is a lot different than watching them play for Canada in Canada. It's kind of you against the world. You had a chance to see uh, the world a little bit and to be with those guys at Christmas. It really does kind of take on a a bit of a life of its own. Does it not? It does. And you're, you're, uh, you know, you try to create a bubble and create everything that's comfortable for them and their families They all want to be around their family if, if possible, but uh, that's not always possible. Yeah. And what's best best for the team? I had um, uh, U18 World Championships in Switzerland, and it's a long way for families to go in the springtime, and it's kind of a short notice thing because you know they just pick up and pick players after the the junior years come to an end, and guys that aren't in the playoffs. So you don't always have Canada's best, so you don't get many. Uh, family members over there you get a few and um but it's uh yeah when you're in a foreign country and you have a group of guys you just create that pack mentality and try to keep guys comfortable and uh and uh make sure they don't get distracted at that age (laughs) oh yeah yeah you said you just got back to calgary um and if you were going to work again, it would be you'd want it to be in the National Hockey League. Would you work in Edmonton, Tim? Oh, I would work. I would work in Edmonton. I would work. Uh, I, I I think the Oilers organization does a good job. There's not many uh, organizations I wouldn't work for. Um, you know, there, there's there's lots of good opportunities out there. You know, the Oilers is going to be good for for many years. Not unlike the Flames. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, who I played for, mm-hmm. um, they're going to head in the right direction. They have great leadership there. Um, they're going to head in the right direction as well. They've got a core group of real good young hockey players. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's fun stuff, uh, this coaching uh, uh, racket. Um, huh. You know, the, the problem is, is when you get a job, it's because someone else got fired. Yeah, uh, and, and that's what you learn. In hockey, uh, you're going to get fired at some 
point, regardless of what you've done, whether you've won or lo- lost or, or you've been successful, you look at Terry Crisp, two president trophies, Stanley Cup, and what it get him, only three years of them in Calgary coaching. So it's a tough racket. And here, here you look at uh, Daryl Sutter, who's come full circle. Chicago, San Jose, Calgary, L.A., back to Calgary. And uh, good on Calgary to, to be able to bring him back and know that he was what this team needed. And every, every team goes through cycles, and they need different voices and different types of people, whether it's assistant coaches or head coaches. Hey, before we let you go and get back to your uh, yard work, or I think you're, what are you going to do, some painting? Painting. I'm painting. Yeah, you start off in the lower level, and then you go, well, geez, I should just, well, I could continue on, and then you, next thing you know, it's a bigger job than you want. Well, don't forget, <laughs> number three is red, and number five is green. If uh, it, Oh, you're talking about painting the house. Sorry, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> okay, anyway, before we let you go, how's your golf game? Are you a finesse player, or do you take the ball and uh, beat it up a little bit? Well, a little bit of both. Um, I'm trying to learn, you know, I, 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 you know, playing golf and hockey, it's always golf tournaments. So you don't get a chance to play. So spending two, two winters in Arizona golfing three, four times a, a week, you start to improve. But as you improve, it gets harder and harder to improve the more you want to improve. So going from 90 to 80 is not real yeah. hard, but going from 80 to 75 is very hard. So, um, but lo- lots of fun, uh, lots of exciting things going on for guys that want to play golf in Alberta. There's some great courses uh, and lots of tournaments. Calgary, we have our alumni tournament uh, this week coming Thursday, uh, game five day. So we got to get off the course and get back into town because it's at Pritis so we can play and watch the game. Yeah. And then, uh, as I mentioned, I'm coming up to Edmonton for a tournament in August and have a bunch of other things planned. So, um, great place to golf in uh, Alberta in the summer, and hopefully we get one soon. Andy's tournament is for the Cure Cancer Foundation here in this right. region. And as I always tell people, it doesn't matter where the cancer money is going, it's going to benefit somebody on this planet, right? So if we can find out, if we can find a little secret to what's beating cancer in Edmonton, it will benefit somebody in Calgary. If they find out something in Calgary, it will benefit somebody in Vancouver. So it's a, it's one big collective fight. Thanks for your time today. We really appreciate it. You've been fantastic. Uh, and keep enjoying the rest of the playoffs. I know you, do you still, will you still watch if Edmonton or Calgary are out? Because I know I was bothering you last night texting. You're watching Tampa. Tampa shocks Florida. Did that surprise you? Not really, um, goaltending. And, you know, Florida's, you, you know, they haven't been there yet. They haven't really, you know, it's, it's, you got to learn to lose a little bit before you win. And they just develop, they have a great group and they're going to be better for it. But uh, Tampa's, Tampa's time's not over. Um, it'll be an exciting uh, final, whoever uh, they play on the east side. Um, and I picked, I said in the beginning, it was best teams were Tampa, Florida, Colorado, and say Calgary. It. You gotta say it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, you know, it's uh, this series is not over. It's going to be exciting uh, the next couple games, and looking forward to it. But no, I'm a I'm a hockey fan. 
uh, love watching. I watched the St. Louis Colorado game as well last night. And, uh, that's a good series. St. Louis has made some adjustments. Uh, they just didn't have enough uh, last night. Thanks for your time. This has been great. Outstanding. You bet, guys. Anytime. Well, we're slowly moving into the summer months. And like any good teammate, the realtors over at the Macintosh Group will assist you in selling your home. Now, here's the goal. To sell your home for the most amount of money in the least amount of time with little to no stress. Wayne Gretzky was no stranger to breaking and setting records. Well, the Edmonton single-family real estate market, breaking records to kick things off here in 2022, slows down a little bit as we get into the summer, but that's no big deal. But it does tell you one thing. It's so important to hire a professional with the skills to work in the ever-changing market that we're living in. Now, if you're looking for a Hall of Fame experience when selling your home, then give Brent or anybody at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City a call at 780 464 0075 or you can find them online at mcintoshgroup.ca both buyers and sellers give them a shout they'll be able to tell you exactly how the market is going and one last thing when you give them a shout make sure you tell them the outsider sent you so there we go that's the other side of the battle of alberta from tim hunter today i almost feel a little uncomfortable he was so happy and so excited about the series and everything it just it just uh you know, even said he'd move to Edmonton if there was a coaching position. It's just, I don't know. I just kind of got a queasy feeling, Robin, with all of this, uh, this love that's behind the hate. Brent, never forget, in a lot of instances, if you look back on that old grainy video, yeah, Tim Hunter was smiling a second before he punched you in the nose. Uh, there's that too. Yes, absolutely correct. Hey, one other thing too, before we just kind of move on to some other stuff. The picture we were talking about is a picture. It's a great close-up shot. I'm I I don't know who took the picture. I think I think it might have been uh, an older uh, photographer with the Edmonton Oilers back in the day, Bob Mumry. I don't know for sure, but I do know one thing. It's a great shot of Dave Samenko and Tim Hunter squaring off. They're not even fighting. They're just looking at each other. And we're gonna I'm gonna ask our friends uh, the Cooks and Boys. Jack and Ken over there at Pro-Am Sports on the St. Albert Trail, whether or not we can use the photo as part of our uh, podcast today. I know they have the rights to it, but it's such a great picture. It's uh, it really, it, and it's prominently displayed in the store. It's signed. It's got It's got to be worth a fortune in there, but I just love that picture, Robin. <laughs> and there's Hunter having, having one over on us again, Bryn. I'm telling you right now, well, yeah, you know, he, Sammy was much bigger than me. Uh-huh. Uh, Tim, you look like you're, you look like Dorf in that picture. He looks like he's, I, I lowballed it. Sammy in that picture, you look at it and tell me he doesn't look like he's five or six inches taller than Hunter there. Hunter is six foot two and on a six foot two. I've stood beside Sammy. I played golf with Sammy in the same foursome. He's an honest 6'3", but he's not a 6'4", 6'5", guy. Could have been the flow. Might have been the hair. Might have added on to that. Anyway, miss Sammy so much. guy, yeah. I got to tell you, that's one of the hardest moments for me in my broadcast career, and I've had a few tough moments on the air. But I remember I was at K97 Radio working with Terry Evans and uh, Bill Cowan, and I had just wrapped up my sportscast. We went to commercial break. Just as we'd gone to the commercial break, Bing, like a little notification on uh, 
one of my uh, one of the many programs I follow, and it mentioned that Dave Semenko had passed away. And I went, oh wow, we, guys, we got to we're gonna have to break in with this one because this is big news here, obviously in Edmonton. And so I told them what had happened, and they said, okay, we're gonna come out of this commercial break and let's get right to it. I don't think I'd mentally prepared myself to uh, to make the announcement, and also. It's a little different for me. Normally, as a broadcaster, you're able to kind of keep a little bit of your edge and maybe yeah. keep a little bit of your objectivity. But here's a guy that I had an office next to. And always the one thing about Sammy, always found the right time to just drop by your office. Maybe you're, you knew you are having a quiet day or you're maybe a little down today because you're overworked. You always seem to walk in and go, how are you doing today? And I said, great, yeah, but I just, I don't know. I'm just, I don't seem to have it today. And he would just sit in the office and chat with you for a couple of minutes. And he always felt better when he left. So when I opened the microphone up to mention that, that Dave had passed away suddenly, even though he should have seen it coming, but that's another story. He, he'd been fighting the cancer quietly in his own way. But uh, I actually broke down. I, Terry had to pick it up for, for me. I actually choked up. And uh, But anyway, when I think of those two guys... I think of the Battle of Alberta. I think Flames. I think Oilers. It's an iconic picture for me. It's the kind of picture I'd love to have on my wall. You have it? Did you say yes, you have it? Yes, I do. It? Wow. It's in my office. It's pretty fantastic stuff. So anyway, talk to the guys over at Pro-Am Sports. They'll fix you up. At least I, I, Scott, I know it's on their website, so you, you'll be able to find it. Okay, let's talk about So it's crazy in downtown Edmonton. On the, uh, let's see, what night would that have been? That would have been Sunday night. Oilers beat the Flames in game three. Hmm. I get the excitement level, but can I just ask fans one thing? I I know I'm kind of repeating myself from 2006 when I was very, look, have fun. Just don't be hanging from wires, electrical wires in old Strathcona. Don't be breaking up garbage cans into pieces that you can throw at the police. And then I see some guys riding the Wayne Gretzky statue after the game, and I'm thinking, all right, I see that you're getting fun, but you know what? Get the fuck off the statue. You don't have time for that shit. (laughs) Two things. One, and it's not the first thing I think of. Safety. I don't want anybody to get hurt. But it's not the first thing I think of. The first thing I think of is show some respect for your city. Show some respect for the statue. Wave your flags and cheer all you want, but please get off the statue. Yeah. And it's funny because, Bryn, we say this from time to time. I brought this up before we started recording, and you said, did you see what I put out there? And I said, no. But we're, we're, we're alike on this one. I looked at that and I thought, get your ass off the Gretzky statue, son. Get your ass off the statue. That's not. Now, again, this is the we will draw the old man yelling. Uh, yeah, I don't cloud, care. The clouds meme here. But look, that's not celebrating. That's doing a look at me. Look at me. It's for your TikTok. It's for your Twitter account. Get your greasy ass off the Wayne Gretzky statue. It's not celebrating. There's lots of ways to fist pump and have a good time. Yeah. And hoot and holler. It's not about, you're not in a library. I get that. But get your greasy ass off the Wayne Gretzky statue. Okay, that's the old guy segment, uh, and uh, I'm 100% with you. Okay, a couple of things quickly here. 
we, you know, somebody may download this a week from now. So, uh, so I don't want to dwell too much on the uh, upcoming game four of the series, but a little surprised at uh, Daryl Sutter suggesting that some of his team was a little intimidated by the crowd. A couple of things. This arena here is big. This arena here in Edmonton is very well sound baffled. So for it to be at a deafening level, and I heard some people who are the veterans who have been in this building and in the old Coliseum, and they said that they thought this was louder. That's saying a lot, Robin. But I was a little surprised that Daryl would have suggested some of his younger guys were a little taken back by it. Now, that does allow him some latitude to not have to say that they got beat by the other guys. But it's just that it was too much of an event. But I was a little surprised he said it. However, he's a vet. This guy knows This guy knows how to pull the levers, man. He's, and that's where I would go with this, Bryn. Uh, Daryl knew exactly what he was saying. He's just deflecting. He's just taking a little bit of a, he's letting the guys know, I got your back. I understand. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to start kicking ass because some guys maybe crap the bed a little bit in a big game. Um, he's taking, you know, he's taking a bit of that himself and saying, Hey, you know, maybe, you know what he said, the thing that surprises me is the statement that, well, we're getting beat by one guy. Yeah. And you and I talked about this again on a break. As soon as I heard that, I pictured, uh, bless his soul, Bob McCammon, longtime coach in the National Hockey League, because KG was exactly that. He was KG. And, you know, I, I imagined him hearing that and walking into a dressing room and saying, hey, fellas, the other guys think they're getting beat by one guy. You're a bunch of nobodies. What do you think about that? Yeah. <laughs> he would play that until the strings were broken and every guy in that room would be saying, yeah, we'll show them who's a bunch of nobodies and he'd have his effect. I thought that was surprising that that would come out that, Hey, we're getting beat by one guy. He plays half the game, blah, blah, blah. Hey, you, you can't say with a straight face, Connor McDavid isn't the engine that drives this train. Right. That's one thing. But saying you're getting beat by one guy when you got Evander Kane hat tricks and Leon Dreisaitl doing what he's doing, um, that's a bit rich, I think. You left Zach Hyman out, who's been fabulous through the series as yes. well. The other concern I have is that if players on the Flames are now worried about that one guy, and he comes back in game four and does the exact same thing. And he seems to be elevating his game even to the next level, which we've heard plenty here over the last few days. If you get beat by that one guy again in game four and they trail 3-1 in the series, I think the series is over. Because mm-hmm. I just think that you can't let that. That's a little that's a little brain worm that's going to get in there. you got to be really careful with that kind of stuff. I think sometimes you just got to say, hey, listen, we just they were a little bit better than us today. We'll be better the next game. I think it's better than pointing out the one guy because I think you're right. I think that that that's an opportunity for the Oilers to feed that fire a little bit. So, and here's and the other thing, Bryn, is this really you, it's a no win uh, proposition. The other guys pick it up and um, they play even better, and that's hard to do in some cases. You mentioned Zach Hyman. I'm thinking Toronto. Thank you very much. Uh, for this player who is just, I mean, he was fine during the regular season, but now he's showing that this is a playoff guy and I've called him awkward and he's not smooth. He's not a, uh, and Mac T I think he said, well, he's 
He's not a he's not a fluid skater, but he gets there. Oh, yeah. He's just got this this awkward drive to the net, and he says, "I'm going to the net, and you're not going to stop me." And hey, between him and Kane, this is far from a one person or a two person, if you use dry sidle in past years, team. So you've got the effect of inflaming the whole room, but you've also got the effect of of, of uh, Connor McDavid thinking, you know what? I think I can probably find even another gear. Yeah. Now you're in big trouble. <laughs> now, the other thing, too, is that if the Flames find a way to win game four and it goes back to Calgary tied at two, it's a whole different series. That's the fun part of the playoffs. Hey, before we get going here, I want to wish uh, our friend, Dave Jamison, all the best. He, uh, he's he been battling uh, throat cancer yep. for the last year. And today, in fact, as we are taping this, he just uh, stepped on the air about 10 minutes ago for the first time in a year. So I just yes. want to wish Dave all the best and getting back at it on TSN 1260 in Edmonton. Is there anything else? For, are you offended, by the way, of calling it the Moss Pit? No. Who would? How could you take offense at that? It's I, fabulous. I did. I did initially. I went, I don't know if I want to call it the Moss Pit. Like, how? Like, is that the way? And then the more I thought about it, I went, you know what? Now you got to get the statue of Moss or Joey Moss out there in that in that area and have some fun with it. Because you know who would have had fun with it? Joey. And when you look out at that sea of people and they start playing the music. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> and Ben, keep rolling, buddy. Uh, Robin, that's it. Uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Yeah, sure will, pal. All right. Storm in the castle. Road 55.